This is the time of the year when hurricane season is. And they can pop up anywhere at any time. And you never know when they'll come. And they could be devastating. And we here in Texas, we know being close to the Gulf. And uh, the hurricanes, they can destroy people, property, and anything that's in its path. But I, I watch the weather. I watch the news pretty often. And uh, I watch the weather. And there are times that I've seen where what they call a high-pressure system that comes and sits over an area. And it keeps that area, keeps the hurricane away from that area. And uh, so that the hurricane passes by. Well, this is a small illustration of what God does in this portion of scripture with this plague, this 10th plague. When he passes over the houses of the Israelites, Instead, he destroys the firstborn uh, in the nation of Egypt. And the book of Exodus itself, y'all, what it teaches is that it teaches that God delivers. It teaches that God is faithful, number one. He's faithful to the promise. And as you follow the narrative, you see that in every instance, Whatever God says, it comes about. God is going to bring his people into the promised land. So this 10th plague, uh, in this 10th plague, it is a picture of redemption, of what Christ does for us. So you probably already know that ahead of time. But let's get into the, the lesson. Let me read it. Long... A lot of passages. Chapter 11, Exodus. Now the Lord said to Moses, One more plague I will bring on Pharaoh in Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. And by the way, I always let you know that I am reading from the New American Standard Version. So you can follow me if you have one. And then in verse 2 it says, Speak now in the hearing of the people, that each man acts from his neighbor, and each woman from her neighbor, for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I am going out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on the throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the millstone, all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Moreover, there shall be a great cry in all the land of Egypt, 
such as there has not been before, and such as shall never be again. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog would not even bark, whether against man or beast, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these your servants will come down to me and bow themselves before me, saying, Go out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. Chapter 12, Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves. According to their households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them, according to what each man should eat. You are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night, roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boil at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both his head and his leg along with his entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you. And you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. But on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats anything leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall have a holy assembly, and another holy assembly on the seventh day. No work at all shall be done on them, 
except what must be eaten by every person that alone may be prepared by you. You shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on, the very day I, for on this very day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generation as a permanent ordinance. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month, at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. Seven days there should be no leaven found in your houses. For whoever eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is an alien or a native of the land. You shall not eat anything leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentil and the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of the house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come to, you, to your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised you, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but spared our homes, and the people bowed low and worshiped. Then the sons of Israel went and did so, just as the Lord commanded Moses, Moses and Aaron, so they did. Long passage. Long passage. But it's good for us to read. When you're trying to understand Scripture, probably 90% of it is reading. But let's look at the text in verse 11. We'll deal with verses uh, 1 through 10, and then when we get to chapter 12, I'll just do some summary points. But let's look at chapter 11 here. This is the last plague. One more plague. God has did. This is the 10th plague. And so you would think probably by this time, Moses and Pharaoh and Egypt are pretty much getting tired of this. So God has allowed all these plagues to occur, as it says, as Hans has dealt with already, so that he can multiply his wonders in the land of Egypt. The wonders has to do with his miracles. He wants Egypt to know that he is Yahweh. As in chapter 3, he says he is. I'm the God of the Hebrews, the God of uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says, I am who I am. 
Yahweh, the God who exists, who has always existed, the God who is eternal. And through those, these, those ten plagues, and we're on the tenth one, uh, Pharaoh and Egypt will know who God is after this. So let's look at the first passage. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out from here completely. Notice that. He's going to surely drive you out from here completely. In the Hebrew, well, uh, when you use a word twice, it's for emphasis. Like the word drive you out from here completely. Completely is really is the same word. The Hebrew word behind that is drive you out. It's the translators have translated it completely for emphasis sake. God is putting, the writer is putting emphasis on this that God is going to drive them out. In other words, Pharaoh didn't want to let them go, but after the 10th plague, they're going to want them to get out, okay? And they're going to say that later on. Matter of fact, let's look at uh, chapter, uh, chapter 3 in verse 20. Because he has said this already. And a lot of these things have been spoken already as Hans has gone through um, up to chapter uh, 11 here. Uh, chapter 3, verse uh, 19. But I know that the king of Egypt would not permit you to go except under compulsion. In other words, he's going to have to be made to let him go. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of Egypt. And after that, he will let you go. So, and we see also in chapter 12, we see what happens when he does this. Now, in chapter 12 here, what it shows is after he has let them gone. In chapter 12, verse um, 31, it says, Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, Rise up, get out from among my people both you and the sons of Israel, and go worship the Lord as you have said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go, and bless me also. And then it says the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we'll all be dead. And then in verse 39, it says, they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt into cakes of unleavened bread, for it had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. So they were driven out. So God, and this is God speaking here, he will surely drive you out, he says, completely. He will let you go. And see this one more plague, 
Now, nobody knew at this point that there was just, this was going to be the last plague. So when he says, one more plague I will bring up on Egypt, Moses didn't know that until God said that to him. He says, after that, then he will let you go. So you will be driven out. And then secondly, he says in verse 2, you're going to go out with possessions. You're going to plunder the Egyptians. In verse 2 and verses 3, speak now in the hearing of the people that each man acts from his neighbor and each woman from her neighbor for articles of silver and articles of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Furthermore, the man Moses himself was greatly esteemed in the land of Egypt, both in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Again, this has already been said. Looking back, turning back to chapter 3 again. In verse 21, I will grant this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be that when you go, you will not go empty-handed, but every woman shall ask of her neighbor and the woman who lives in her house articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters. Thus you will plunder the Egyptians. So God, in caring for his people, he did not let them go out empty-handed. He provided for them. And this, again, was already spoken of. So uh, it says that they gave them uh, those, that silver and those articles. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And we see that God was working in the Egyptians so that they would provide for Moses and, uh, and the people of Israel when they go in the wilderness. So we see that, again, God provided for them. And then in verse 4, we get down to the actual plague itself. Uh, when he talks about the plague and what God is going to do. And we have Moses speaking here. And listen, this, in, in verse 4, this is probably a continuation of the end of chapter 10 when Pharaoh tells Moses to get out. And I'll read that so you will see the connection. Because it says that this will be the last time that Pharaoh speaks to Moses, especially in trying to request, uh, for Moses to make a request. It says in verse 28 of chapter 10, then Pharaoh said to him, get away from me, beware, do not see my face again, for on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, you're right, I shall never see your face again. So verses 1 through 3 is like a parenthesis. And then so in verse 4, Moses says, thus says the Lord, about midnight, and the Lord seems to take this personal. He says, about midnight, I'm going out into the midst of Egypt. And guess what? All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh to the firstborn of the slave girl who's behind the millstone. And all the animals as well. 
pretty strong that God is going to destroy kids. And you might ask, God is destroying kids. And some people may struggle with this. But remember, God is sovereign. And God knows these people. And yeah, these are unbelievers. And yeah, God also knows, he knows this too. Children, I don't know if you know about kids, but the Bible teaches that kids, kids who are not at the age where they can be accountable, they come to be with the Lord. Okay, in case you didn't know that. doesn't say how old these were, but I'm just letting you know that kids who are um, not accountable at that point, they come to be with the Lord, the Bible teaches. But also the fact that God still takes a life in general. I had a guy years ago, he struggled with that, that God would kill somebody. Well, God is sovereign. And guess what? He makes those kinds of decisions. We don't have all the information. Same thing God does when he commands the Israelites to, when they go in the promised land, when he tells them to strike down uh, those people, kill all the kids as well. So pretty strong that God would do that. But God also says about those people how wicked they are too. He identifies them as wicked. And then as Hans has brought out in Romans chapter 9 that uh, God says that he raised Pharaoh himself up for the purpose of showing his power in him. Pharaoh's God raising Pharaoh up for that very purpose of demonstrating his power in Pharaoh. So he was raised up for that purpose so that God would demonstrate his power. That God would, yeah, he's going to bring about those miracles or those wonders in the land of Egypt to show the Egyptians and the world who he is. That he is Yahweh, the self-existing God. The God that always was and always will be. He's the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So, uh, all the firstborn in Egypt, God says, he's going to destroy. And you, you might say, why does he destroy all the firstborn? Well... The Egyptians, they looked at the firstborn as special and as sacred. And even the Pharaoh himself was looked at as a god. Okay? So, um, but God also told Pharaoh this. And we look at it in chapter 4. If you would turn to me in chapter 4. God calls Israel his firstborn. Look at what he says in chapter 4, four verse 21. It says, The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said, let my son go, 
that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Look at God. Look at how God looked at the Israelites as a firstborn. He speaks of them collectively, the nation as a whole, as a firstborn. And he speaks of them in that way to demonstrate what he's going to do with them and what he has done in the sense that he had made them into a nation of people. And he was going to nurture them and he was going to lead them. So even though Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh, I mean Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they believed the firstborn was special and sacred, well, God speaks of his people as special and as his firstborn. And it shows that what he, it looks at what he was going to do for his people. So God is saying, yes, I'm going to destroy your firstborn. And the firstborn has to do with first in rank, preeminent, with all the privileges and rights and the responsibilities of a firstborn. So God is saying, turning back to chapter 11, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, they're going to die. And he says the firstborn of animals as well, all of them. So this, this tenth plague, it was devastating. It was going to take the lives of the Egyptians, their kids rather. So, and the Bible says here in verse 6, there was going to be a cry in all of Egypt that has never has happened before and never will happen again. People are going to be weeping for their children. And you see this in chapter 12 of, in verse 29. It shows, it tells you what happened. Now it came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who's in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And listen to this. Pharaoh arose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was no home where there was not someone dead. There was no home in which there was not someone dead. Then we see in verse 31, then is when they call Moses and told them to get out. It was this last plague that pushed him over, that drove Pharaoh to drive the Israelites out. And this great cry, there was none like it, it says in verse 6. This was precedent, unprecedented, a great cry. Never one before like it, and never one that would be like it again. But contrast that, look at what it says in verse 7 about the Israelites. But against any of the sons of Israel, a dog would not even bark. Can you imagine 
Nothing is going on with the Israelites. And he's making a point that the Israelites were undisturbed. A dog would not even bark, whether against man or against beast. And he gives a purpose, purpose clause, that you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God is caring for his people. And we should take great comfort in the fact that God cares for us. Nothing will happen to us unless God allows it as believers, as we walk with God. Nothing will happen to us. Nothing can happen to us unless God allow it. That you may understand how the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The whole narrative in the book of Exodus demonstrates God's faithfulness to his people. God is faithful. He's never slack on his promise to them. And Moses further says this. All these your servants, in verse 8, will come down to me, and they're going to bow themselves before me. And guess what they're going to say? They're going to say, go out, you and all the people who follow you. And Moses says, and after that, he will go out. And then it says, Moses went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. So things have gotten heated there. In hot anger, he went out. And like I said earlier, yeah, after 10 plagues, after God bringing plague upon plague upon the Egyptians, and of course he could have just wiped them out initially, but he didn't do that. As it says in verse 9, as, as a summary of all, that, all the uh, wonders or the miracles God did, then the Lord said to Pharaoh, I mean, then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Again, the purpose of those miracles, those wonders, as he calls them, is so that God can do all these miracles, these wonders in the land of Egypt. And as you read the narrative in the book of Exodus, that they may know that I'm the Lord. I am Yahweh. Again, I'm the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am who I am, the self-existing God, always existed. There is never a time when he didn't exist. I do exist and will exist. So, um, God says to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so I can multiply my wonders. God puts his power on display. And I just, the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament in Romans chapter 9 looks back at this and certainly makes some helpful 
statements about this. God's power. Now, God's power is put on display in creation. He put it on display. Now, he put it on display in a lot of things. But, I mean, we see it uh, mostly. I mean, we recognize it mostly in creation. We see it put on display when he destroyed the earth in uh, Moses' time. We see it put on display when he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We see God's power put on display. God, again, puts his power on display here. Summary, again, so that my wonders will be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And then he just finished it in verse 10. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. Yet the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the sons of Israel go out of his land. So, chapter 11 ends with that. But then we pick up in chapter 12, God speaks again. Now listen, this occurs in the land of Egypt. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, now we begin to look at this, the Passover, what occurred during the Passover time, the Passover supper. This is the beginning of the Hebrews' religious calendar. God says to Moses and Aaron, this is the beginning of months for you. It is to, begin, it is to be the first month of the year for you. And he says, speak to all the congregation of Israel. And he tells them, he says, go take a lamb for yourselves, according to your father's household, a lamb for each household. He says, like I said, I'll summarize a lot of this. And he says, if the household is too small, he says, you and the neighbor ne nearest to you go take a lamb. And y'all share it together. And he says, according to the number of persons in each household, according to what each man to each you are to divide the lamb. And he says the lamb is to be a male, a year old. And he says you can take it from the sheep or the goat. So he's given them explicit instructions as to what to do. They are preparing to leave Egypt. So he's telling them this while they're in Egypt. So they are to take a lamb. And then he tells them uh, they are to, uh, they're to keep this lamb. First he tells them in verse uh, 3 that it's on the 10th of the month. They are to eat, take a lamb. And then he says they are to keep it until the 14th of the month. In verse 6, he says you are to keep it until that time. Uh, the 14th day of the same month. And then he says the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, they are to kill it at twilight. And then he says, moreover, you are to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of your houses. And the lintel has to do with the top portion of the houses. And he says, put some on there. And he says, in the houses in which they shall eat it. And then he says, they shall eat the flesh that same night. 
and they shall eat the flesh roasted with fire, and they, they shall eat it with uh, unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So unleavened bread, bread that's without yeast. And he tells them this, do not eat any of it raw or any of it all boiled with water, but roasted with fire. And he says, you're to uh, uh, both his head and his leg and along with his entrails, which means the inside, the intestines. And looking at verse 10, he says, do not leave any of it over until morning, okay? But whatever is left until morning, you shall burn with fire. So he's giving him specifics. And then he says in verse 11 of chapter 12, now you eat it in this manner. You are to eat it with your lawns girded and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. Eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover, he says. It is God's Passover. And he says this statement, and I'll make some comments on this statement here. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, which he's already said. But this portion that he says, both man and beast, this portion here, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment on them. So what God was doing also through those plagues is that he was executing judgment on the Egyptian gods. He was showing how they were impotent. There were no, there were nothing at all. They couldn't stop those plagues. They couldn't do anything. As we saw, uh, as Pharaoh has had to plead with Moses, those gods were no gods at all. Yahweh was saying that I am the Lord. And he makes that statement again after a number of these portions of the narratives. I am the Lord. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm God. There's no one else. No one compares to him. And uh, I did write down some comments here about this. Um, as I read in uh, The World and the Word by uh, Eugene Merrill and Mark F. Rooker and Michael uh, Grazanta. And uh, it's an introduction to the Old Testament. And it says, in what way were the ten plagues directed against the gods of Egypt? Although some reject the, nation all, the notion altogether, the plagues clearly affirm that the plagues had come, 
had some kind of divine polemic function. Some scholars have made a, a fairly detailed connection between the plagues and specific Egyptian gods. While some of those connections may have been obvious to the Hebrews and the Egyptians, it seems better to understand the plagues as a judgment against the entire pantheon of Egyptian gods. In addition to this, since the Egyptian rulers were, were responsible to maintain cosmic order, these plagues represented a direct front against the Pharaoh as one who ruled on behalf of the gods. In this sense, they represented an assault on Egyptians' very idea of creation, order, and harmony in the universe. So they look at it in that way. And then there are others who attach to each plague a specific Egyptian god. For example, the Nile, uh, Happy, H-A-P-I, the bull god, the god of the Nile. So when uh, God turned the Nile to blood, he came against that God. And then also this last plague here, the goddess Isis, the wife and sister of Osiris, supposedly protected children. But the plague showed her to be totally incompetent to do what the Egyptians trusted her for. And this was found in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. So God was showing up those gods showing that they didn't measure up to Yahweh. Yahweh is incomparable as to who he is. Nothing can move his hand. So, let me get back to the Passover here, the rest of the portion. In verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you. And we've already spoken of that. Putting up blood on the doorposts is, is a sign that when the destroyer sees the blood, he's going to pass over the Israelites who have the blood on the doorposts and the, and the lentil. He would not bring the plague upon him to, them to destroy them when he strikes the Egyptians. So, in verse 14, God says that this is to be a memorial for you, or to you. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you shall celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. God wanted them to remember that. And God wants us to remember that, too. Yes, this is for the, uh, for the Egyptians to show them who God is, but it's also for us as believers to see how powerful our God is, to see what he can do, to remember that what he says he can do about salvation, he can do. He can deliver a person from their sinful state. Okay? God can redeem. So when we pray for folks, realize this. 
that God can save. His hand is not short, it says, that he can't save. God can't save. So as believers, remember who your God is. And so God wanted the Israelites to remember that. So when they're picking up this narrative and reading it, they realize that the same God that delivered their fathers, they can deliver them, okay? They can deliver them even from in a physical way too. But certainly the, the picture of this whole thing of the Passover is a picture. And the Old Testament itself, let me make this point. The Old Testament, the whole ceremonial system it's just a picture of the reality that we have in Christ. It points to the substance that would come, that Christ is the real reality of all the ceremonial, the sacrificial system. So when you view the Old Testament, uh, the sacrificial, the ceremonial system, that is what it points to. It's a picture. Uh, it's a shadow, Hebrew says. It looks at the Old Testament as pointing to someone future that would come. And that is why I'm going to read uh, another comment in a minute. That is why when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Jesus changes the Passover. He makes it the Lord's Supper. So, and I'll read some on that to help us understand that more clearer. And remember the Jews too, the Israelites still separate, I mean still celebrate the Passover. They still do right now. I mean it's empty because guess what? The reality has come. Christ has come. And we look back at his coming. And it says, too, verse 15, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. So I'll just make a comment there. They were told on the first day to remove the leaven from their houses. And any, anyone that was found eating leaven, they will be cut off from the nation of Israel. Cut off meaning they may even die. Okay, so they couldn't eat bread with yeast in it. That is what leaven is about here. And then also he wanted them to remember or to observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And these are feasts that God wanted the Israelites to remember. And the Feast of the Passover looked back at them actually, I mean, it was the first the only feast where it occurred in Egypt. The rest of them occurred when they were in the wilderness or in the promised land. So, but he looks back at that feast in verse 17, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in which he says, uh, on that very day, he brought the whole host of Israel out. And he says, you ought to observe it throughout your generation as a permanent ordinance. So seven days they are to eat bread 
without yeast in it, unleavened bread. So, and the Passover and the, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, these two, a lot of times they are spoken of as the same event uh, in the New Testament when you look at it. Uh, because right after the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread occurs. And uh, let's look at Luke chapter 26. Luke chapter 26. Excuse me, 22. And we see here where they're together. 22 verse 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread, which is called a Passover, was approaching. So I just wanted you to, to show you that these are a lot of times spoken of as together. So, and then verse 21, when we look back at Exodus chapter 12, Moses speak these same things to the elders of Israel. And in summary, all he does is repeats the same thing that he's spoken already. Verse 21, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and take for yourselves lambs. So this is stuff he's already said. So I won't comment on that. But one of the things I'll comment on is that what they were to do when they entered the land. Again, it goes back to what he wanted them to observe. In verse 25, when you enter the land which the Lord your God will give you as he promised, you shall observe this right. And when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes and the people bowed low and worshiped. Appropriate. The people would bow low and worship. They would begin to worship because they saw how God was taking care of them. But I wanted to give you some more information on the Passover so that maybe it will shed some more light on it. And after that, I'll be done. I have an article by uh, John MacArthur on celebrating the Passover. And he makes some interesting comments. Passover was a very simple memorial. It was an intimate meal. No less than 10 and no more than 20 people could celebrate it together. It was a divinely designed memorial that served as an annual reminder of how God protected the Israelites and delivered them from bondage, bondage in Egypt. The Lord used ten plagues to bring the Egyptians to break rather the Egyptians' grip on the Israelites. The final plague was a mass slaying of the firstborn in every family. It was an incredible slaughter. There was no home where there was not someone dead. And then I'll read this portion. 
Every part of the Passover meal was symbolic of some aspect of deliverance from Egypt. Just as the lambs had been slaughtered that night in Egypt and their blood sprinkled on the doorposts, so the Passover lambs were slaughtered and their blood sprinkled on the altar. Likewise, the lamb was cooked and fully eaten the same evening. And then this is interesting. The four cups of wine served during the meal symbolized God's four promises to his ancient people just before their deliverance from Egypt. The Passover is typically celebrated with four cups of wine. And the Jews do that. And the four promises, he says, I am the Lord. Number one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Two, I will deliver you from their bondage. Three, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm. Fourthly, then I will take you for my people and I will be your God. And then there's some more information about what they were eating. The bowl into which the unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, and sometimes the bare hands were dipped contained a paste called cherosit, composed of finely grounded apples, dates, pomegranates, and nuts. That thick brownish mixture was perhaps symbolic of the mud and clay used in the making of bricks for the Egyptians. I won't read all that, but, uh, and I read this last portion here. The Passover lamb was to be slain at twilight, which translated a Hebrew word term literally meaning between the two evenings. The ancient historian Josephus explains that time as between, being between the ninth and eleventh hours of the Jewish day which would be between 3 and 5 o'clock in the afternoon. After being slaughtered by the priest in the temple court and having had some of his blood sprinkled on the altar, the lamb would be taken home, roasted whole, and eaten in a special evening meal with unleavened bread, bitter herbs, charoset, and wine. Any of it that was not eaten before morning was to be burned just to share with you uh, what occurs in the Passover meal. Jesus, again, changed that. 